This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is discerning spiritual promptings and God's will. In the first half, Michael Orm shares his address, Recognizing and Understanding the Spirit at BYU. Then in the second half, Garrett W. Gong speaks on Live Right Now. My family thinks I am somewhat obsessive about all things BYU. For example, I go to sleep every night on a Y-logoed pillowcase. I head out to my car each morning through a door that's adorned with a very large magnetic Y. I fly a large Y flag on my porch on BYU game days, and in addition I display numerous BYU-themed posters around our home. These posters generally celebrate historic coaches, events, and athletes, such as BYU's 1984 National Championship in football. One of my favorites, a 2006 John Beck to Johnny Harling touchdown pass against the University of Utah. (laughs) And of course, a certain BYU Basketball National Player of the Year in 2011, known to those who adored him simply as the Jimmer. I love BYU. It is a spectacular place to study and to work. Like many of you, I have a long and varied and personally rewarding association with BYU. My mother was a freshman at BYU around 1950. At that time, BYU had only a few thousand students and was housed in a small collection of buildings, mostly clustered on the southwest corner of our campus. As you can see, BYU was and continues to be a work in progress. My first recollection of BYU was watching a fast-paced 1966 NIT basketball championship team when I was only 14 years old. And although I am a fifth-generation Mormon and a descendant of 19th-century pioneer stock, I was the first member of my extended family to actually graduate from BYU. I later became a double cougar, also graduating with the third class of BYU's law school. One of my most treasured mementos from the law school is this photograph of Rex Lee. He was the dean, handing me a law degree diploma in 1978. In my view, Rex was the finest lawyer of his generation. As an undergraduate student at BYU, I met my wonderful wife, Dottie, in a family home evening group. We've been happily married for nearly 42 years. All of our four children graduated from BYU and married fellow cougars. (laughs) We now have 14 grandchildren now all hoping for the day when they get to rise and shout as students at this prestigious university. And to cap it all off, for nearly 30 years I've had the great privilege of working as an attorney for BYU in the Office of the General Counsel. Now, some of you may wonder why BYU needs so many highly capable attorneys and support staff. And I can tell you that we live in legally perilous times and that the legal professionals at BYU are working hard and effectively behind the scenes to advance and protect BYU and its standards, values, and assets. I am really proud of all that this great collegial group has accomplished. For me, being employed at any institution of higher education would be a noble calling. 
Those of us associated with American higher education get to wake up every workday with an extraordinary opportunity to advance the greater good of society. Working together, students, faculty, administration, and staff help prepare the rising generation with the education and the skills they will need to improve the world and to enhance their chances for happy and abundant lives. That said, I believe studying or working at BYU is a singular opportunity. Certainly by any secular standard, BYU is an outstanding, nationally recognized university. However, what makes it unique in all the world and what draws to its special attention and scrutiny is its vitally important mission to help build the kingdom of God. Consider, for example, these sentences from BYU's mission statement, which was approved by Church prophets, seers, and revelators in 1981. The mission of Brigham Young University, founded, supported, and guided by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is to assist individuals in their quest for perfection and eternal life. And, it continues, we believe the earnest pursuit of the institutional mission can have a strong effect on the course of higher education and will greatly enlarge Brigham Young University's influence in a world we wish to improve. Frankly, this is the highest and best mission statement of all the great universities of the world. It isn't just an institutional mission. It is individual and concerns each one of us who are part of this marvelous campus community. But just exactly how will this great mission be achieved? It can only be achieved by the campus community and will take a lot of hard work and time and inspiration. At BYU, we often speak of the combination of study and faith, where secular and spiritual knowledge as the key components to moving forward the mission of BYU. Today, as we are gathered in a devotional setting, I would like to focus on the spiritual dimensions of revelation in BYU's mission fulfillment. In one of his first addresses to the Church in the April 2018 General Conference, President Russell M. Nelson stated, One of the things the Spirit has repeatedly impressed upon my mind since my new calling as President of the Church is how willing the Lord is to reveal His mind and will. The privilege of receiving revelation is one of the greatest gifts of God to His children. We all have a great need throughout our lives to obtain God's guidance as we attempt to navigate the many challenges and questions that come to us. However, in no stage of life is the need for heavenly direction more important than in the formative college and young single adult years, particularly in those first few years spent living away from home and family. Some of the foundational questions which will likely confront a young single adult at this time of life include the following. What are my fundamental standards, values, and beliefs? In short, who am I? What kind of person should I marry and partner with in this life and the next? What exactly will be my life's work, and how will I contribute to make the world a better place? In a very real and profound sense, once these decisions have been made, I can tell you the rest of one's life is something of an epilogue. It is therefore impossible to underestimate the importance of these decisions for our future well-being and happiness. And fortunately, as baptized and confirmed members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 
We have the gift of the Holy Ghost to be our constant companion, to reveal to us the truth of all things. Moreover, God has promised us that He is anxious to help us with the wisdom to address the perplexing issues of our lives if we seek Him out and are willing and worthy to both receive and act upon His guidance. Prophets, both ancient and modern, have shared with us their insights into how this revelatory process may play out in our individual lives. The Old Testament prophet Elijah observed that the voice of the Lord is not in the wind or in the earthquake or in a fire, but rather in a still, small voice. Some revelations are made known to us in sudden moments of inspired insight or perhaps in an unusual and vivid dream. On the other hand, some promptings come more subtly. President Gordon B. Hinckley taught how we can recognize the promptings of the Spirit. Does it persuade one to do good, to rise, to stand tall, to do the right thing, to be kind, to be generous? If you are doing the right thing and if you are living in the right way, you will know in your heart what the Spirit is saying to you. BYU President Kevin J. Worthen has emphasized that inspiring or experiential learning, that is to say literally learning by doing, is an integral part of the BYU experience. One of the most important reasons why we agreed to be sent to this earth was to learn by our own experience how God individually communicates to us. As our Father in heaven, God knows how best to communicate to each of us individually, one by one. He's also interested and involved in the very details of our lives, right down to the moment-to-moment thoughts and feelings. I want to share with you how I came to understand the truth to this reality when I was an 18-year-old freshman at BYU. During my freshman year at BYU, I resided in room T417 of Deseret Towers. And by the way, DT no longer exists and has long since been replaced by new and better student on-campus housing. However, my old dorm room and the experiences I had there still exist vividly and affectionately in my mind. My undergraduate days were part of an historical era that is sometimes referred to as the Long Sixties, a period from the late 1960s to the early 1970s. Uh, Parenthetically, they say that in order to remember the 1960s, you have to be at least in your 60s. And I can tell you that that is true in my case. This was a time of brilliant rock and roll music and of unwise experimentation by young people with premarital sex and illegal drugs and of extreme student unrest at many colleges and universities across America, mostly in opposition to the war in Vietnam. At the same time, BYU was a hotbed of conservative calm, traditional values, and for me, serious study in the midst of these wrenching cultural changes around the rest of the country. Indeed, as I have grown older and matured somewhat, I have appreciated even more the protected environment at BYU when I was a young and impressionable undergraduate. I predict that many of you students will come to feel the same way after you complete your studies at BYU and make your way to serve in a larger world. Because I had ambitions to be a serious student and to get good grades and to qualify for graduate or professional school, I took every class very seriously, including my religion classes. So late one Saturday night in my dorm room on a very quiet fourth floor in T Hall, I found myself alone studying the Book of Mormon. 
I had a midterm test that included 3rd Nephi coming up on Monday. I was studying with a determined focus and was carefully rereading 3rd Nephi chapter 11. You may recall that this chapter relates the gathering of the more righteous people to the temple in the land of Bountiful in America after the more wicked part of the people had been destroyed in the tempests, earthquakes, fires, whirlwinds, and physical upheaval following the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. As I read verses 7 through 10 about Jesus Christ descending out of heaven and appearing to the gathered multitude, I stopped reading, leaned back in my chair, paused, and wondered to myself something like this. Really? Did a resurrected Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, just miraculously appear out of thin air and descend out of the sky to minister to a group of pre-Columbian Native Americans? Did this really happen? In that moment, I honestly and sincerely wanted to know for myself whether or not these things were true. I was totally sincere, but I did not expect to receive a revelation or an answer from God. Nevertheless, in the next moment, I had a very surprising and life-changing experience. Uh, Beginning in my chest, and spreading through my body, I experienced a warm, almost burning sensation, together with a thought or impression that came to my mind, somehow coming from outside of me, confirming this event did, in fact, take place exactly as described in the Book of Mormon. As this palpable sensation passed, my mind rapidly came to a number of profound follow-on conclusions. I had just experienced a promise made by Moroni in chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, that the Holy Ghost would make manifest the truth of the Book of Mormon. I now knew for myself that the Book of Mormon was the Word of God, that Joseph Smith was a prophet through whom God brought forth the Book of Mormon, that the restoration of the gospel had occurred, that I probably had a role to play in the unfolding of that gospel, and most importantly, that Jesus Christ was really alive, and his atonement was real. In short, I now saw the world and my place in it in a new and wondrous way. For me, this particular spiritual experience was extraordinary. It was strong, impressive, and quite unexpected. It was also different in kind and degree from the many other and more frequent but less dramatic spiritual experiences that I've had before and after this event. This was more than an inspiration, a thought, or a feeling. It was a physical sensation that was somehow recorded or written in my heart and in my mind in an individual way that made it more permanent and memorable. Over the years, this experience has proven to be something of an anchor to my faith and my trust in God. As we all know, this world we live in has been purposely designed to challenge us in the choices that we make and in the manner in which we react to the inevitable adversity that finds us all. This mortal experience can take a toll on our testimony and commitment to the gospel. It is precisely in these times of testing that we need to be intellectually honest with ourselves and consciously remember the authentic spiritual experiences we have had. 
This is part of the sacramental promise which we make to always remember Christ. We should remind ourselves that we really have had these experiences, and by so remembering we can be reassured that God is real, that He loves us, that He will keep the promises that He has made with His covenant-keeping people. We can also respond in the affirmative at any time and any place to the provocative question put by Alma to the Nephite people in the Book of Mormon. And now, behold, I say unto you, my brethren, if ye have experienced a change of heart, and if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can you feel so now? Heavenly Father is not only interested in our spiritual growth and progress, he also wants us to be happy and successful in achieving the righteous aspirations we have. He knows that it is through small and seemingly simple things that great things are accomplished. Some 17 years after my freshman year at BYU, another miraculous event occurred in my life. I got an offer to come back to work at BYU. I'm going to spare you the 10-year saga of how, with a lot of sacrifice and prayer, this all came about. However, I can assure you that I was absolutely thrilled. Coming from the private practice of law with all of its attendant pressures of running a small business in a small market in southeast Idaho, I saw BYU as a sort of Garden of Eden for me. In my mind, at BYU, my true interests and abilities would be put to the best possible use. There were, of course, a couple of challenges, one of which was to find the right house and the right neighborhood in Provo to raise our young and growing family. When Dottie and I came back to Provo in June of 1988 to do some house hunting, we knew exactly what we were looking for. We wanted an affordable home to accommodate a family of six in a pleasant, leafy neighborhood close to campus, but not too close and with a good-sized backyard. In addition, we also wanted to have as neighbors other young families stocked with the right age of friends for our children, close to church and good schools. I guess like everyone else looking for a new house, we were looking for affordable perfection. (laughs) After spending two days with a very patient real estate agent, we found some promising neighborhoods, but there were literally zero houses on the market that fit our wants, needs, and pocketbook. We drove the four hours back to Idaho feeling discouraged and resolved that we would find a place to rent and resume our home search after we relocated to Utah. That very night back in Idaho, I had an unusual dream. It was in bright, natural colors with very precise details. In my dream, I was walking along a paved path which ran alongside a picturesque small river. The river was running fast and was lined by big green trees. It was a perfect sunny day in June. As I enjoyed this calm and peaceful scene, I noticed that it appeared to be slightly snowing. This was strange, but added to the charm of this beautiful landscape. Big white flakes were drifting down out of the sky in the middle of summer. When I woke from this dream, I didn't know its meaning. But I had a reassuring feeling that things were going to work out just fine for me and my family with our move to BYU. Well, we did find a temporary rental, and we lived there for about 15 months while we looked high and low from Alpine to Mapleton for the right house. We never found it. Instead, we came across an undeveloped lot in a small, secluded neighborhood in North Provo, located about one mile from the mouth of Provo Canyon, and three miles from BYU, 
The neighborhood was bordered on the west by the Provo River, and interestingly, on the east boundary was a paved bike path running up the canyon to Vivian Park. We ultimately bought the lot, built a house on it, and started our new lives in the Northgate neighborhood. Several years later, as I was walking along the path near the river in the month of June, I had a feeling of incredible deja vu come over me. There was a small squall of white cottonwood seeds that were gently falling off the trees, lining the river and collecting on the path. This seemed to be snowing in summer, just as I had dreamed back in Idaho. It has now been several decades since that long-ago dream and dream fulfillment. Our home and neighborhood turned out to be exactly the right place to raise our family. We have lived by wonderful friends. and In fact, it's been nearly perfect, much better than we could have imagined in our house hunting days. All of this came back to me when President Nelson made the following comments about Revelation in his April 2018 General Conference address. To be sure, there may be times when you feel as though the heavens are closed. But I promise that as you continue to be obedient, expressing gratitude for every blessing the Lord gives you, and as you patiently honor the Lord's timetable, you will be given the knowledge and the understanding you seek. Every blessing the Lord has for you, even miracles, will follow. That is what personal revelation will do for you. It is reassuring to hear the words of a modern-day prophet that the Lord continues to be anxious to guide and direct His children in their individual circumstances. President Nelson did note, however, that there may be times when we might feel like the heavens are closed. In addition, the Lord sometimes has a timetable and a plan for us that we can understand only in the process of patiently waiting upon the Lord. We need to do our part by being obedient to the commandments, gathering reliable information, and often coming to the Lord with a thoughtful, well-informed plan of our own. While we can be assured that the earnest prayers of our heart are being heard and will be answered, the manner in which they are answered and the timing of when they are answered are in God's hands. In my experience, the gifts of the Spirit are always forthcoming promptly and clearly when we seek discernment regarding fundamental matters involving right versus wrong, in choosing between good and evil, and truth versus error. The Spirit will enlighten us particularly through the listening to the prophets as to where to stand in our age of a dramatic and ever-accelerating gulf that's happening throughout the world between the children of light and the children of darkness. That noted, we must also acknowledge that the Spirit does not come at our command. So what should we do in those circumstances when the revelation we so earnestly desire just doesn't seem to be coming? There may be times and important decisions when the Lord will expect us to act without explicit direction by using our best informed judgment and agency wisely. If we are keeping the commandments and really seeking the Lord's will and not our own purely personal agenda, these decisions and actions tend to turn out for our good and are often ratified by the Lord. Understanding the nuances of how we communicate with God through the Holy Ghost is a lifetime challenge. However, given the spiritually dangerous times in which we live, there is no more important task at hand for us individually and as a people. By any measurement, I am in the twilight of my career at BYU. I have experienced and loved the spirit of the Y.
I've also seen in a number of ways and at several levels the hand of heaven moving in often unexpected ways to protect and preserve the mission of BYU, even after all we at BYU could do. BYU is an important part of the restoration and will continue to play a vitally important role in the building up of the kingdom of God. I testify it is a shining city on a hill, and it must be protected and preserved. The divine destiny of BYU will continue to be fulfilled as we, the campus community in Christ, listen to and act upon the spiritual impressions that come to us in these latter days. Of this I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is discerning spiritual promptings and God's will. We've just heard from Michael Orm. After the break, we'll return with Garrett W. Gong for Live Right Now. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is discerning spiritual promptings and God's will. Next is Garrett W. Gong, assistant to the president for planning and assessment at Brigham Young University at the time of this address, titled Live Right Now. Brothers and sisters, isn't language interesting? For example, a bus station is where a bus stops. A train station is where a train stops. On my desk is a work station. At church, we hope those who sit on the stand understand how long we can stand to sit. (laughs) When they grow on vines, blackberries when green are red. Wireless blackberries, when red in class, make green instructors blue. (laughs) The title of my talk, Live Right Now, also has dual meaning. Live right now can mean live right now. It can also mean live right now. Both meanings testify to the supernal blessings of choice, what the scriptures call moral agency. Live right now doesn't mean eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow my class projects do. It means that while we learn from the past and plan for the future, we make decisions in the present. The nature of mortality is we live right now. Live right now is also key to joy in both time and eternity. The metrics of faith, repentance, covenants, and receptiveness to the Holy Ghost are all and always tied to our living righteously. Today's choices shape tomorrow's decisions. Choices as eternal as we are, our opportunity to exercise moral agency and mortality is one of God's great gifts. Yet we make many of life's most important decisions before we are constitutionally qualified to run for Congress. Age 25, faith, marriage, career, 
These and other important decisions loom as large as an 18-wheeler barreling toward you at breakneck speed, and you have the uneasy feeling objects in the rearview mirror are larger than they appear. Choices. We may put them off, but we can't escape them. Choices reveal, define, and refine us. We have the gift of the Holy Ghost. When we make mistakes, and we all do, there is always a way back. And the way back is the way forward. The Savior's Atonement helps us see the Lord's promises fulfilled in our lives. As part of living right now, let me speak in turn about choice, promptings, and promises. First, choice. I once substituted in a teenage Sunday school class. These were good kids, but they challenged me as I walked in. Brother Gong, they said, Sunday school is boring. We've heard everything before. I thought for a moment, and then I asked, Have you ever talked about quintessential existential dilemmas of moral agency? <laughs> the class said, Huh? I asked if they would be willing to learn together. They were, so we did. Quintessential means in a pure and most concentrated form. Existential means grounded in the experience of existence. And dilemma, well, you know a dilemma means a problem involving a difficult choice. So quintessential existential dilemmas, QEDs for short, are the challenges inherent in making life's most important and defining choices. The terminology may be new, but the dilemmas essential to real choice are as old as the fall. Maybe new words can help us think more deeply about our choices as we seek to live right in the right now. Please remember, mortality involves, well, real choices. There is an opposition in all things, so we can act for ourselves, being enticed by the one, sweet, or the other, bitter. The remarkable truth, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy, assures us existential choice need not engender forlornness, anguish, and despair, but ultimately the joy for which men and women are. Let's consider four illustrative examples of what I mean by QEDs. First QED, we are enjoined to be anxiously engaged in a good cause, but not to run faster than we have strength. So often everything happens at once. The big project, family home evening, the service project, extra work shift, and the cute guy or girl on the second row in American Heritage finally shyly smiled and asked if we could get together. How do we diligently do all things in wisdom and order? Another QED. We know we should pray, but we may not know what to pray for. The scriptures instruct us not to perform anything unto the Lord save in the first place we pray unto the Father in the name of Christ that he will consecrate our performance unto our good. Yet the scriptures also remind us we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Left on our own, we quickly discover there is none that doeth good, no, not one. We do understand, neither waiting to be told all things 
nor doing everything on our own leads to happiness. On the one hand, those who wait for absolute inspiration find themselves paralyzed, sometimes susceptible to deception from uninspired sources. On the other hand, those who never seek Heavenly Father's inspiration sometimes get exactly what they thought they wanted. You know the phrase, be careful what you ask for. Choosing to trust in God takes faith. The best guide of all, as we seek to choose faith in every footstep, is the whisperings of the Holy Spirit. Teaches President Boyd K. Packer, quote, Once you really determine to follow that guide, your testimony will grow, and you will find provisions set out along the way in unexpected places as evidence that someone knew that you would be traveling that way. End of quote. On occasion, in unexpected places, I have been grateful, as you have been, to find such provisions. A third kind of QED reflects our sincere desire to submit our will to Heavenly Father. How do we say, Thy will be done, and truly mean, I want what He wants? Remember the great prophet Abraham? He was miraculously told he would have a son and then commanded to sacrifice that son. While they were traveling in the Holy Land, Professor Truman Madsen once asked President Hugh B. Brown, Why was Abraham commanded to go to Mount Moriah and offer his only hope of posterity? It was clear President Brown, nearly 90, had thought and prayed and wept over that question before. President Brown finally said, Abraham needed to learn something about Abraham. Happily, most of life's choices are not Abrahamic tests. But mortal choices do let us learn and choose something about ourselves. In a sense, mortality is the ultimate choose-your-own-adventure. Each choice opens new opportunities to choose and closes others. As we choose the Lord and obey His commandments, we come to understand and accept His will. In Helaman chapter 10, Nephi became so faithful and obedient, the Lord promised, All things shall be done unto thee according to thy word, for thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Each semester, our student stake executive secretaries and clerks schedule many Temple Recommend interviews. Over the years, Vince Schrader, Clinton Sandy, Hiram Wright, Jeremy Johnson, Paul Orgel, Stephen Ricks, and now Andrew McNabb and others have so faithfully served in that calling. I love meeting with all of our members, including happily engaged couples. May I share something about what I've observed regarding what makes happy couples happy? Happy couples, CTR, the DTR. They choose the right in defining the relationship. They let the spiritual lead the physical, whether just starting to date, courting, or engaged, in ways big and small. Happy couples set distinct, appropriate bounds before marriage that bless all aspects of their lives, now and later. Living right now makes possible living happily later. In interviews, I sometimes say, 
my purpose as your priesthood leader in asking these questions about testimony, tithing, the law of chastity, and so on, is not to keep you from entering the temple. It is to help you know that when you are in the house of the Lord, you are worthy to receive every blessing pronounced upon you. The Lord does want us to qualify for every blessing. Indeed, there is a law, and when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. Never underestimate seemingly small decisions. This includes how we choose to dress, speak, or otherwise portray ourselves. In a Sunday school class in our stake, I asked, Do you protect your credit card and your financial identity? Every hand went up. I then asked, Do you protect your spiritual identity and how you dress, speak, or perhaps how you portray yourself online? I invited volunteers to share their MySpace or Facebook profiles. Let me ask you, would you feel comfortable sharing your profile in Sunday School or on the big screen in this devotional? What would your parents or bishop or your current or future spouse or children think about you spiritually if they saw the profile you use today? By the way, Many employers now review profiles and other online information of prospective employees before hiring them. Many screen names, of course, are functional or for fun. But how would an employer feel about hiring Winky Dink, Cutie Pie, Pinky Girl, Hottie 14? <laughs> if they were looking for someone to write important legal briefs. And would they hire Hot Stuff to Bomb RM34 <laughs> to put a mature face on the firm's new regional office? Life doesn't stop while we wait for answers. As a member of our student stake put it, the pioneers received inspiration as the wagon wheels turned. Remember the Lord's counsel. Let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power and then we may stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for His arm to be revealed. President Gordon B. Hinckley's life is testament to how both to pray and to work. Get on your knees and ask for help, and then get up and go to work, and you'll be able to find your way through almost any situation, says President Hinckley. President Hinckley's good advice for university students and also for the rest of us, if you go to bed at 10 and get up by 6 a.m., things will work out for you. My wife Susan and I courted across two hemispheres. She was teaching in Provo. I was studying at Oxford in England while trying to learn everything I could about Susan from across the Atlantic Ocean. Call it distance education of the best kind. It's one reason I can honestly say I earned a Ph.D. in international relations. <laughs> Both Susan and I knew what we wanted, but we also sought the Lord's confirming guidance. I prayed many times before I found the right way to ask the right question for me. It was not, should I marry Susan? That is, please tell me what to do. It was to say humbly, I want to ask Susan to marry me. Please confirm this decision, which I have made with all my heart. 
We waited and listened with faith for his quiet confirmation, answers which come according to each varied circumstance. During his final visit to BYU, Elder Neil A. Maxwell quoted lines of verse given him by Professor John Sorensen, written by Mary Carr. The verses describe a great stallion at full gallop in a meadow who, at his master's voice, seizes up to a stunned but instant halt, only the velvet ears prick forward, awaiting the next order. Said Elder Maxwell, Do you see a new picture of meekness being at full gallop but with velvet ears? A fourth quintessential existential dilemma. How do I distinguish between promptings of the Spirit and my own personal feelings? In this month's ensign, Elder Dallin H. Oaks reminds us humility precedes inspiration. Humbly seeking inspiration while fully obeying all the commandments will help us determine if we are attracted to that cute guy or girl by spiritual prompting or as a response to a Madison Avenue perfume or aftershave. It can help us know if we are giving or receiving a priesthood blessing that what we are hearing or saying is not only what our own heart may earnestly want or not want, but is in fact the will, mind, word, and voice of the Lord. By definition, QEDs involve real choices. We choose not only between good and evil, but often between good and good. Happily, we are not alone as we seek to live right now. Promptings from Heavenly Father through the Holy Ghost can help us live right now. I am grateful Heavenly Father respects perfectly our agency, and at the same time in circumstances and at times He knows best, also prompts and guides us. In the spirit of a devotional, let me briefly share four personal experiences where promptings taught me how the Lord will guide us as we make our own best choices while seeking inspiration. First, promptings sometimes open unanticipated opportunities to help others. With us here today is a wonderful woman who shared this experience. She arrived at her local supermarket and felt prompted to enter through a different door than the one she normally used. She found herself in a less familiar section of the store. There she couldn't help but overhear a conversation. It went something like this. Can't we get jam? I like jam with peanut butter. Besides, you chose last time. Well, maybe so, but we need more protein. Cold cuts have more protein than jam. Two young men wearing white shirts and name tags and holding a small calculator (laughs) were facing a tight missionary food budget. While cold cuts or jam may not constitute a classic quintessential existential dilemma, the dilemma of choosing cold cuts or jam was real. The generous woman said, Elders, please put both the cold cuts and jam in your basket. I would be so happy if you would let me pay for your food this week. She said, I was glad Heavenly Father prompted me to go through a different door and allowed me to help those faithful elders in a small way. Second, sometimes promptings come when our hearts go out to someone else. While serving as a branch president in another country, 
I interviewed a fine young man with a strong testimony for baptism. He had traveled many miles over many hours on a trip I knew he could probably afford to make only once. As we discussed the law of chastity, he hung his head. I want to be baptized, he said, but I'm living with someone and we are not married. As my heart went out to him, an impression came. It was very clear. Ask him what he means by being married. I said, could you please tell me what you mean by being married? He said, well, we went down to the government office and registered as a married couple, but we didn't have enough money for a family wedding banquet. I said, wait, you're married in the government's eyes and not married only in the sense that you haven't had a family wedding banquet? Yes, he said, we are legally married. That worthy young husband was baptized. As I recall, there was later even a family wedding banquet. Third, prompting sometimes comfort or prepare us for things Heavenly Father knows are coming. Some years ago, I awoke with a clear but curious impression. I should use frequent flyer miles to upgrade my parents' airplane tickets for their visit to our family in Virginia. I had the tickets upgraded, then completely forgot about it. During the visit, my father was very tired one afternoon but wanted to go with me as I ran errands. Although I thought he should really stay and rest, I happily agreed for us to run the errands together. Somewhere between the laundry and the groceries, I had a quiet feeling my father would not come to visit again. A few months later, I was attending a business conference in Kyoto, Japan, and received word my father had unexpectedly died. I cried for days. But as I looked back, I realized I had been lovingly prepared in advance. Earlier small promptings regarding plane tickets and running errands later provided great comfort. Fourth, promptings sometimes come at the very instant we need them to help us address questions important to someone else. Once in a country with customs and beliefs different than here in the United States, I was riding in the car with the fine leader of another religion. He said, Dr. Gong, I have a test for you. I thought he was joking, but he wasn't. I thought he would move to another topic, but he didn't. He was quite serious. Imagine, he said, you are traveling in my country. You are invited inside a very humble home. You are offered a small glass of lime juice to drink. What do you do? At first, I wondered if he were testing whether I dared drink the local juice. His was a more difficult question than that. I knew the family was offering their best. I thought, perhaps I should thank the family but not drink the lime juice. This would acknowledge their generosity but not consume the precious juice. But might they feel insulted that I thought their offering was too little or not good enough? Alternatively, I thought, Maybe I should thank the family and drink the juice. This would acknowledge their generosity, but it could create an awkwardness if they felt obliged to bring out more juice, which they might not have. All this went through my mind in a flash. So what do you think, my host asked again. I was silent for a minute. Then with a prayer in my heart, 
I opened my mouth, not yet knowing what I would say. It was then it came. What I said surprised us both. I would thank the family profusely, I said. Then I would drink part of the juice and say, Your generosity is so great, I am unable to finish. He clapped his hands. You understand the hearts of my people, he said warmly. In a way that surprised and moved me, it mattered to this great leader that someone understood. Sometimes it is in the right now, in the instant, that we learn things important to someone else. In each of our lives are personal experiences which testify Heavenly Father loves us more and knows us better than we do ourselves. We can seek the Holy Spirit's guiding whisperings. We can be grateful on occasion for prepositioned provisions along our path. We can gallop with velvet ears. And we can make our best decisions knowing on occasions and circumstances He determines His promptings will bless us and those around us by opening choices we would not otherwise have known. As we make our best choices in following guiding promptings in consistent efforts to live right now, we unlock the Lord's promises in our lives. One of the Lord's promises is that His Son will be our Savior and Redeemer. Human choices are inevitably incomplete, incorrect, and often have unintended, sometimes even destructive consequences. Human choices require atonement. We've all had experiences where we tried to be helpful and weren't. I once arrived early for a priesthood meeting. Thinking I could help ready the classroom, I erased the blackboard, dense with writing. As he began our lesson, our dedicated priesthood instructor said, with surprise but with no rancor, I came early and put our lesson on the board, but somehow it's been erased. Class turned out fine, but I remember the forbearance of our priesthood teacher, who, incidentally, is today's U.S. Senate Majority Leader. That's a simple example. What about the roommate who inadvertently hurts the tender feelings of another roommate in a way which causes her roommate to stop coming to church? What about the friend who accidentally fatally injures his best friend in a car accident? The sudden jolt of death, injury, or major change, such as a heart attack, a near drowning, a suicide, these bring us to seek at one month. At these tender moments, the four things that seem to matter most find expression as, thank you, I love you, please forgive me, I forgive you. Each of these phrases reflects atonement. In each, we feel our Savior's love for us as we extend love and forgiveness to others. Each eases pain, offers hope and comfort, and reconciles injustices and hurts that come from living in a world of sticks and stones. And we don't have to wait for death or trauma. The Savior's atonement can infuse our role relationships, experience, and knowledges right now. We can all say with all our hearts, Thank you. I love you. Please forgive me. I forgive you. Atonement ultimately comes because of our Savior's infinite and eternal, great and last sacrifice. He knows, according to the flesh, how to succor His people. He can heal us. 
he can comfort and bless those hurt by our mistakes, by our imperfect choices. And we always remember him and keep his commandments. And as we do so, we have his spirit to be with us. That allows us to recognize another great promise. Every soul who forsaketh his sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments shall see my face and know that I am. Face matters. We face the facts. We face the nation. As the musical Les Mis, based on Victor Hugo's masterwork, concludes, Eponine, Fontaine, and Jean Valjean sing, To love another person is to see the face of God. Do you know the scriptures contain by one count 635 references to face and some 22 references to face-to-face? These include precious accounts where great prophets, including Moses, Abraham, Jacob, Enoch, the brother of Jared, Moroni, and the prophet Joseph Smith, saw and spoke with God face-to-face. Elder David A. Bednar recently testified, The scriptures contain the words of Christ and are a reservoir of living water. He taught us how to read, study, search, and feast upon the words of Christ. I am grateful we can seek and ponder connections, patterns, and themes, such as face-to-face and face. In our day, some say an unknowable God has no face. Some say God must not exist because scientific measures do not detect him. Some say God exists only as an idea or a spirit. How blessed we are to know he has a name a voice, a face, indeed a body of flesh and bones only glorified, and the Son also. We approach our Heavenly Father in prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. To me, this is, too, a wonderful quintessential existential dilemma. We do not presume over-familiarity as we speak of or with our Heavenly Father, but neither are we so fearful of His glory and His perfection that we mistakenly think him unapproachable or distant. He invites us to come to him, and we do so on bended knee as his children. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Let me conclude by offering five brief suggestions for how we can live right now. First, ponder your patriarchal blessing. Notice where Heavenly Father may give specific directions and where He gives only general guidance and expects us to learn how to make righteous choices. Second, ask yourself, are there things in my life I should start, stop, or continue doing? Seemingly small actions or attitudes carried on over time can set important long-term trajectories. Third, study the lives of the great prophets, including Abraham. Ask how you can increase your understanding, trust, and experience with the Lord such as to be prepared for the challenges and opportunities in our lives. Fourth, review the circumstances in which you received guiding promptings and how you responded to those promptings. Fifth and final, count your many blessings. Look for ways to add, thank you, I love you, please forgive me. I forgive you in our daily lives. May we raise our faces toward the promised day when we shall see his face and know that he is as he encircles us in his eternal arms of mercy and safety. Our journey complete. 
we will then no longer see through a glass darkly, but face to face, knowing as we are known, grateful for choices, promptings, and promises that invite us with a fullness of joy to live right now. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Discerning Spiritual Promptings and God's Will with thoughts from Michael Orm and Garrett W. Gong. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.